Acts 19 is where we're at. I guarantee you this is going to be the strangest lead up to Christmas you've ever experienced. Flat out, all right? If you don't believe me, just turn to Acts 19. Um, my name is Jose. If we haven't met yet, welcome. For those of you friends and family who are visiting uh, for the holidays, we're thrilled that you're here. If you're gone for Christmas Eve, uh, God bless you. But if you are in town, uh, we totally do this room up an hour of Christmas singing together and reading the Christmas story. You don't want to miss it. But uh, as an interesting lead up, because we've been in a long study in Acts, we didn't want to take a break, but figure out what a riot in Ephesus has to do with Christmas in Portland. Are you ready for a stretch? Okay. Acts 19. I'll, I'll go in the middle of where we uh, ended last time. We'll start in verse uh, tw- uh, 19. Acts 19, 19. It says, A number who had practiced sorcery uh, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas in our lingo, millions of dollars. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Uh, for those of you who missed last week, the good news of Jesus was presented into a city that didn't know it. And things radically changed in the city called Ephesus. Within two years, people stopped their worship that was customary at their time in their place and, and burned the things that they used to engage in. They burned it. They realized that's not legitimate power. We found real power in Jesus. And, and they turned to the living God. Now, out of that, verse 21, after all this happened, so two years of this, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia, And after I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So Paul, he goes from town to town and he shares the message of Jesus. He pulls people together. A church has started and he goes to the next city. So he says to this crew, hey, my work is done. God's at work. Things are going well. Leaders are raised. I'm out of here. But then he says, verse 22, he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So we get a little travelogue. Now, before Paul goes, I want us to catch what happens in response to the message of good news. He says, about that time, verse 23, there arose a great disturbance about the way. The way is another uh, way of expressing Christianity. It was usually called the way of Jesus. A silversmith named Demetrius, who had made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there, And he called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole uh, province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, a.k.a. we're going to lose money, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Now, leading up to Christmas here in Portland, what can we learn from a riot in ancient Ephesus? Well, a couple of things. We need to remember that when the good news spread to the city, there were extraordinary miracles. If you remember from last week, Ephesus has the great temple to Artemis, the goddess. 
And it is a city of power. It's a city where people come and they get these little shrines of the temple made by Demetrius and his friends. And they have these little uh, temples, temple trinkets uh, uh, dedicated to the goddess. And then they bring it home. And in demonstration of power, God was at work as well. And people saw the legitimate healings. People who were uh, influenced by evil spirits were set free. And so it's making a big impact in their city. As well, I want us to remember that there was a lot of discussion about the Christian faith. This is a brand new thing in their day. So for two years, Paul rents a classroom and every single day he lectures in the, in the hall um, of Tyrannus and he shares the good news. So, so Portland is a spiritual city, would you agree? We live in a very spiritual city. And as well, we live in a sinking city. So I want us to see the connection as we get ready to celebrate this Thursday and Friday that we're living in a culture that, yeah, the names are different, the powers are different, but it's very much like the city of Ephesus. And when the good news breaks in, it creates a backlash and a stir. So it's kind of like uh, what you see in the headlines today because all of a sudden, uh, look at verse 28. It says, now when they heard this, when Demetrius says these guys are, are going to take our business, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Verse 29, soon the whole city was in an uproar. So just like you see ripped from the headlines, things go from peace to violence in a moment. I mean, so people go into a concert or a football match in Paris and there's bombings and the whole world is shaken up. There are some people just enjoying their Christmas party and a couple comes in with a gun in California and the whole world is shaken up. Or just go closer to home. People are going to school in Roseburg and a shooter shakes it up and we're all wondering how in the world can we celebrate a season of peace on earth when violence can erupt in a moment and the actions of one or two, like Demetrius and his friends, can turn the whole city. How do we celebrate peace in a season like this? Now, as a church, we want to think about today, how do we respond? Let's get more personal. When it comes to conflict that happens, maybe not citywide conflict, but let's just be honest. Christmas is beautiful, but it can be tense. Get a bunch of family, get some friends together who don't see each other often. And conversations get started and arguments ensue in the middle of a holiday season. It happens on a family scale, it happens on a citywide scale. And because we're connected, it's happening on a global scale. People are asking, can there be real peace? Well, how do we respond? Three things I want us to think about this morning that are going to push us forward to Christmas Eve. Number one... First, we as a community have to recognize the real difference. We have to recognize that there are real differences at play. What do you see in their city? There is the temple to Artemis and the worship of Artemis, and there is the way of Jesus. And what I want to suggest to us is we have to remember that because we live in a community with all sorts of faiths and all sorts of beliefs and all sorts of worldviews, we have to recognize there are real differences. Artemis is the goddess of fertility. So she was a perpetual virgin, so the saying goes, and she helped those women who were delivering babies. She had power for childbirth. 
But she was also a hunter and who hunted with bow and arrow and also the goddess of death. Talk about an amazing combination. She can help you or shoot you, just depending on where you're at. That's Artemis, and she's worshipped. The temple to Artemis, you're saying, what's the big deal here? In the first century, Ephesus held the largest building in the entire Roman Empire. Her temple was the biggest structure in the empire. The, the, the columns to her temple were 60 feet high. How, how tall is the ceiling? What are we at, like 25 feet? Double the size are the pillars. It's the size of a football field. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This is a big deal. You think a football stadium is a big deal to a city? This is where people came from all over the empire to worship Artemis. And what's happening is the way of Jesus is making a stir, and these guys see it as a, competi a competition. So for two years, Demetrius is noticing the sale of his shrines, of his silver works that are going to be dedicated to the temple and brought across the empire. Sales are decreasing. Fewer people are going to the temple. More people are going to the church. And there is a real difference. There's a real difference in their faith. You cannot say the worship of Artemis is the same as the worship of Jesus. In their culture, they recognize the difference. And in our culture, can I just remind you, no matter where you are on the spectrum, Jesus follower, skeptic, burned by organized religion, wherever you are on the spectrum, can we at least agree on this? We have to recognize that different faiths believe different things. And you cannot recognize and reconcile the worship of Artemis and the worship of Jesus. They are not the same thing. And what causes the conflict is where they differ. But I also want to notice us to notice that the worship and, and their faith is not the only factor at play. So you've got Demetrius who is making a living off of selling this. You have people in the city who are less interested about the worship and more interested in the income. So we have to remember in discussions today as we read the news, as we talk, as we post, that it's not just a conflict between this religion and that religion, that God and this God, this faith and that faith. There's economics at play. There's politics at play. Ephesus at the time of Paul is in decline in international trade. So Demetrius, who represents all the tradesmen, knows their city is also already on an economic decline. So he, he has to stop their industry from failing. He represents the union, so to speak. And so when we look at violence in the world today, let's wake up. It is not just a clash of beliefs. There are also economics at play. There's politics at play. There's all sorts of undercurrents of people's motives. People are not just motivated by their faith when they react. They're also motivated by their pocketbook and what they're going to get out of it. So that's what we need to remember. So global terror and the, the global issues are not simplistic. So here's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to apply this out now. So there's a bumper sticker that goes out. I don't know if you have it in your car. If, if, if you do, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but coexist. So we're just going to bring it. Ephesus and us, right? So at one level, if, if you've seen the bumper sticker, I think at one level this is totally right. That people of a variety of faiths, we ought not blow each other up. We have to be people of peace. 
We have to be people who respect what other people believe. We have to be people who are intelligent and thinking and don't take our belief and cram it down someone else's throat when they're not ready to receive it. So in one sense, coexist does make sense. We have to be a people of peace. But on the other hand, there's another side of this that's subtly saying everyone is in the same place. And it doesn't matter what you believe. It just matters that you believe. And on one level, yes, we have to respect each other's differences. But notice what Paul does in Ephesus. Paul does not back down on his claim that Jesus is the way to life in God. As a matter of fact, Demetrius gets this more than anyone else. Demetrius says to the other silversmiths, hey, this man, Paul, keeps preaching that our gods that we craft are no real gods at all. So the Christian message is trying to be pushed to the sideline and Paul lovingly, not violently, hear me, not violently, lovingly, he stands day after day and says, the way of Jesus is the better way. And because of that, we're caught in the middle in our day because a hundred years ago, most people would say that the Christian faith is at the center of the national discussion, and that is not the case anymore. And as the culture has changed, there are people who are suggesting that Christianity ha had its day, but now we want to pull it away. Just if you have kids in school, you see it. When it comes to December, it is okay to talk about any faith, except if you suggest that we ought to celebrate the birth of this Jesus. And we ought to Share what Jesus came to do. If you try to do that, watch the eruption. If you try to say, instead of season's greetings, happy holidays, peace on earth, say Merry Christmas. And you'll notice that people are like, hmm, they're not so sure. So as Paul had a struggle in his day, we're going to have a struggle in our day. Now the question is, how do we live the way of Jesus without inciting a riot? We need to recognize that there are real differences. So, so when you say, like, it doesn't matter what you believe, it matters that you believe. Can I suggest to you, as politically correct as this is, now I know this is like the worst message to share before Christmas, hello. But that's what the Bible says, and we're up to Acts 19, so here we go. If you say that, can I just say, I, this is my opinion, I'm not teaching the Bible right now, my opinion. I find that personally offensive. To say, it doesn't matter what you believe, it just matters that you believe. Because I actually have a conviction that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, I respect with love someone who has another opinion. But you cannot say, now I'll just use the example because it's in the media today. I disagree with my Muslim friends on the nature of God and the way someone experiences salvation. Both faith teaches teach a path to salvation, and I respectfully, wholeheartedly disagree based on the text, not my opinion, based on history. I believe that Jesus is the final prophet and that Jesus teaches the way to God and Jesus claimed himself to be the way and the truth and the life and no one experiences life in the Father except through him. So I have no choice but to say that I believe that to be truth, true because Jesus said it himself. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to respectfully, lovingly disagree. Now, I'm going to honor my friend, and I'm not going to put him down, but at the same time, 
I'm not going to force them to follow Jesus, but I have to stand up for what is true. And that's exactly what Paul does. I'll throw it on the screen. If you don't believe me, Paul taught this in every city. He writes this to Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 10, 20, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. This is, he's speaking to the culture he lives in. The sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons and not to God. I don't want you to, partic- to be participants with what? Demons. If you think that Paul was politically correct, you have misread and misunderstood his teaching. With humility, with respect, with deference, with love, we must speak what we believe. And in that, recognize there will be real differences. There will be ideological differences. There will be practical differences. There will be religious expression differences. And we can be a people of peace. Paul does not incite the riot. Hear me. Paul does not. It's those who are opposed to the message of Jesus and the economics that it's going to impact them. Those are the ones who look. Now, the second thing that goes along with that, not only do we need to recognize the real differences, the second thing is we need to learn the power of restraint. We need to learn the power of restraint. Let's just keep reading in verse 28. It says, when they heard this, you know, that, that Paul was trying to keep people from the temple, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and the whole city is in an uproar. And the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. This theater seats 15, 20,000 people. We don't know how many people were there, but it was big. Paul went to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Isn't that the way it works? It's totally the way it works. One or two people have a serious agenda, and the crowd just goes wherever the crowd goes, right? The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front. Now, this makes no sense. It's the Christians that, that they're, on, they're having a riot over, but the Jews quickly realize they don't want to be thrown in the same camp as the Christians. So the Jewish people are like, oh, whoa, 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 we're going to push our guy, Alexander, to the front to make sure they know we're not with those Jesus people. But what happens when he goes to the front? They shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he's a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I would have been out of there. But the riot ensues. Now we need to remember that there is power in restraint. Paul is the leader, he's outside, and he wants to go in. Paul is totally type A, he will go toe-to-toe with anybody, and he goes rushing towards the theater, and they stop him. I want us to catch that. The disciples of Jesus, his brothers and sisters, say, Paul, do not speak up. And then some other leaders in the city who are not Jesus followers, some city officials, when they hear that Paul wants to go in, they're like, dude, stay away. Why? There is a time to speak. Paul has been speaking there day after day for two years. He knows the city. But there's a time for Paul to get out of the way and to be silent for a moment and let things resolve. You know, our words have 
power. That's why God's given us the Holy Spirit. So I want us to notice, this is resolved in the end because Paul doesn't show up, because Paul doesn't speak, because Paul understands and the church understands there is great strength in restraint. So let's just be wise. In light of our very real differences, because we live in a charged world where passion flies and people don't think about the repercussions, we need to be the people who lead the way in restraint. What do I mean? James, later, writing to the church, James 3, says, Consider what a great forest is set by a small spark. The tongue also is a what? It's a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. Paul gets this. He can use his words to calm the crowd, but in this particular instance, his words would have incited violence. And so the tongue is a blessing, but the tongue can be used for evil. It says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who are made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now, we do live in a country that recognize freedom, uh, recognizes freedom of speech. And that's totally cool, right? But I would dare suggest, as followers of Jesus, can we be a people who learn the power of restraint? You know, in some states, you don't have to wear a motorci- uh, motorcycle helmet to ride a motorcycle. It, now, it's not against the law in other states. Does that make it wise? No, it could be legal but unwise. And in the same way, you and I, because we are globally connected and there's things called retweet or repost, you can share one thing and mean one thing and it could be reposted within one hour, become a global sensation that has nothing to do with what you originally intended to say. The power of the tongue and the power of restraint. So can I just say this to us who are here who are following Jesus? Your allegiance is to Jesus first. See, primarily your identity is not as an American or male or female or young or old or rich or poor or whatever. Your primary identity is that you're a child of God. So as a child of God, you don't just represent your personal opinion You represent, or should represent first, your allegiance to Jesus. My brother and I, my brother Raphael's here, and whenever we get together, a couple times a year, we go golfing. And so we went yesterday. I ordered a break in the torrential rain for four hours. You were there yesterday? Those hours of sunlight and sunshine, my brother and I were golfing exactly those hours because I'm that good. And... (laughs) So as we're out there, we're golfing, we, get, we, we catch up to a guy who's going out as a single golfer, two of us, we pair up with him, we're chatting, and immediately within 30 seconds, every bomb is going off verbally, you know, hey, I can't believe it. it's blankety blank, the blankety blank. I'm like, okay, this will be all right. So we're, we're doing a few more holes, and we're having a good time, and he's really good, but he's just, you know, puffing away, smoking a joint, doing his thing, and we're all just, we're having a good time. I'm not smoking, calm down. And so he asked two holes in. He's like, hey, so what do you do for a living? So uh, I'm, I'm like, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church here in town. He's like, no, oh, blank. He's like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I'm over here like 
smoking weed and doing this. And I'm like, oh, no problem. You know, no, no problem. The tongue is a fire. So two holes later, he's like, so, so what church are you pastor now? I'm thinking like, he wants to know because he's never showing up there. But, but so, so I, I tell him, oh, Sunset. Oh, okay, yeah. He's like, well, I go to, and he names his church. I'm like, no way. Great. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually a great church here in town. I'm like, no way. He's like, yeah. I was like, was that like a new thing? He's like, no, I've been going since I was a kid. And I was like, now we had a great time. He gave me his card. I'm going to call him up. We're going to golf again. I, he seems like a great guy. And I'd love to find out a little more. But I, may, I thought for a second, like, okay, if I didn't understand the teaching of Jesus and I spent three hours with him on this course and watched his behavior and his loose tongue. Now, I'm not judging. I'm not, I'm not nitpicking. I'm not being legalistic. I'm just saying Everything I saw in him did not represent the way of Jesus at all. And yet he had no problem telling me and identifying with the church that is a fantastic church here in town. Now, I'm giving an extreme example on that, but let's look at your Facebook page for a second. Let me just ask you, if I went on your Facebook page right now, before you deleted, <laughs> and I looked at your language, your tone, your content, your focus, what would I see? Would I see someone that represents the way primarily? Now, it's okay to have an opinion, and it's okay to express. There's a time and a place, but can we be mature enough to realize because there are real differences in this world, what I say and I do matters. I'm not going to point the finger on those who don't follow Jesus. I'm not going to point the finger on those who are not mature in Christ. But if you are a mature believer in Jesus, growing in your faith, can we let every part of our lives reflect the way of Jesus? What am I saying? I'm saying stop. There are some things that you can post and you can talk about and you can vomit on the internet. But your venom does not make anyone's day better. And it feels good for a moment because you got three likes. But it does a world of no good because Paul is an ambassador to Jesus. And I'm an ambassador to Jesus. And you're an ambassador to Jesus. I, I know, Christmas cheer. I know, forgive me. But here we are. And in this season where we proclaim peace on earth, can we be a people who live differently? I'm not saying pointing the finger. I'm saying model a behavior. Model a way of discourse. Model a way of life that's full of humility and grace and love and care. And can I just suggest positivity? Where these people are the people who are not pointing fingers and not tearing down others, but are building other people up because, my friends, that is the way of Jesus. Now, let's just continue in James because that, that, that wisdom, I'll have it on the screen for you. James says, who's wise and understanding among you? Let him show, him by, show it by their what? Good life. By deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or do not deny the truth. 
can I suggest that some of the stuff that we spread does not come just from a personal opinion. It comes from a broken heart. It comes from a troubled mind. The source of it is not godly wisdom. The source of it is our own brokenness. And so those of us who claim to follow Jesus should consider what kind of wisdom do we have. Now, now, James says such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, check this out, demonic. Paul is against the worship of demons in Ephesus. He's against Artemis because he realizes Artemis is dark and not from the source of the creator God. So he calls it out. But James also calls out supposed wisdom, like your opinion or my opinion about politics, about the arts, about whatever. And he says, watch your heart because that wisdom may not be from God. That wisdom may be sourced in darkness. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. We need to practice the power of restraint. So just because you can post something doesn't mean you should post it. Just because you can express your opinion doesn't mean you should. We're followers of Jesus first. All right, number three, and then hopefully you'll return one of these days to sunset. <laughs> number three, live as agents of peace. We recognize the real differences, right? We recognize there are real differences in belief. We learn the power of restraint, but then we choose to live as agents of peace. Now, now, what is an agent of peace? Ironically, it's not a Jesus follower. We get an example, verse 35. Everyone's shouting for two hours. Now, the city clerk shows what an agent of peace is like. He quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image which fell from heaven? The city clerk says to those who follow Artemis, look, everyone knows how great this temple is. Calm down. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, there's a great temple, great God, though they've not, um, and you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You've brought these men here, though they have neither robbed the temple or blasphemed our goddess. Guys, you love Artemis. They haven't done anything wrong. Why are you starting a riot? If then Demetrius so he calls him out, and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody. The courts are open, and there are proconsuls, and they can press charges. So, so an agent of peace respects, says, it's okay to have this opinion, but what you're doing is not helpful and is not going to get you the solution you're looking for. You want Artemis to be respected. You want your, your, your temple trinkets to be sold inciting a riot will not bring peace. Isn't it crazy that we think by lobbing another verbal bomb, we're going to make things better? By, by, by lobbing another accusation, by putting someone else down, we're going to suddenly bring peace? And so the city clerk demonstrates what it's like to be an agent of peace. Respectfully, he says, you're good, but you have done wrong. You can press charges as a court for this. Verse 39, if there's any further thing you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, and then he brings in the punchline, we're in danger of being charged with rioting. Your activity, Demetrius, 
Ephesus is under the thumb of Rome. Roman authorities, if they hear about a riot, will bring the city and economically penalize, tax them for inciting a riot. You're going to bring out outside a venom against us. And he's the city clerk. He can say, because his neck's going to be on the line. We're going to be charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. And after he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Live as an agent of peace. And that's how the clerk works it out. What does James say? Because we're reading in James 3 about this kind of godly wisdom. Let's read verses 17 and 18. It says, The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving and considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. There's a right way to handle conflict. And as we think, now we've been talking Ephesus, ancient city in Portland, and the conflicts we're facing. But let's just take the last couple of minutes and let's bring it home to the conflict that you and I are facing as we are spending time with friends and family and coworkers that we don't necessarily see eye to eye with. I know in our family, my, my family's kind of strolling in for the holidays and most will be here within a couple of days and they'll be here Christmas Eve. But there wasn't always peace around Christmas time. Uh, when I was going to college, my, my older brother and I go to, went to different schools. And so we would come home and debate, you know, because we all learned more stuff that semester. And we felt that it was our right to, to blurt it out. So we would, you know, have arguments or discussions or debates about all sorts of stuff. For us, this is, this is how ridiculous. It was about the Bible. Like we're a bunch of Bible nerds arguing. No, you're right. You're right. No, this Bible verse says this. We're dorks. And so... Well, I was, and I felt, looking back, that as a second child, it was my right to be right. You know, like second child syndrome? I got to bring my older brother down because that's my God-given calling. <laughs> and so we, we would have these arguments, and it got so intense that my wife afterwards would say, well, you just stop it. I'm like, no, and a vein would pop right here. No, because I'm right, and this is important, really important. And we finally got smart after a decade or so and realized, you know what? Let's just not talk about this stuff at all. Let's just not bring it up. And Christmas is better. <laughs> there are things you can talk about, but they actually aren't helpful. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of rightness. Like things are right in the home and right with God and so in the same way, I just say to you, James 3, I wish I listened to it, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. You know, the problem was not my brother. The problem was me and my infatuation with being right, smarter, better. And I'm the problem. And when I identify myself as the problem, I can allow peace to rule so live as an agent of peace. So even now, as we're heading towards our family parties and holidays, can we make the decision right now to choose the path of peace? To recognize there are real differences? Yeah. And I may not always be in the right. Therefore, I'm going to respectfully bring peace to the situation. Three questions 
that I want us to think about in light of Ephesus and Portland and family conflict that might be helpful to kind of bring this home to you. First question is this, are you at peace with God? The issue in Ephesus was a deep-seated issue. People were being liberated from their old lifestyle. They thought they knew the living God. And then they heard about Jesus and realized, no, life is in this Jesus. And so what do they do? I, I read at the beginning, they burned up this old stuff because they realized that wasn't the real source of power. The real source of power is this Jesus that we're about to celebrate. And because Jesus came in, it affected their lifestyle to the point they no longer went to the temple. So when you have a real peace with God, things do begin to change for the good. So are you here and just disgruntled with your own state of life? Now nobody knows it because you're really good at hiding it. But can I just say lovingly, God looks beyond the mask and he knows what's going on in the heart. And what he wants to do is not bring like, I can't believe you did, and I can't believe you are. No, he wants to bring his peace. There's grace for you. There's forgiveness for you. There's life for you. Yeah, you did, and yeah, you were, and yeah, that stuff is real. But we believe that the gift of the coming of Jesus is to actually liberate everyone who will follow him. Have you allowed God's peace to come into the deepest parts of who you are? If not, this is the time. Christmas is like the right season to take an inventory and say, I, I am actually not at peace. I'm successful. I actually have cash. I'm important, but I'm not at peace. Only Jesus provides that. Second question, because many of us are already in that state, is what's keeping you from making peace with others? This is the harder one. This is the step on toes. Is it pride? For me, that's the number one. If I give you some space, it kind of lowers me a little bit. It's pride. Pride keeps me from letting you win, even when you're right. Pride. Is it the pain of past hurts? You've just been hurt a bunch. So what do we do when we're hurt? We put up the brick wall so that people won't hurt us again. And rather than being a peaceable person, we stonewall. Now maybe that's you. Is it just ignorance? Is this whole thing new? Is this idea of following Jesus and, and letting his peace from within show up. This may just be new. I'm not saying you're ignorant. I'm saying like the whole concept of life with God may be, may be something that, that you haven't thought about. I don't know, but what is it that's keeping you from the path of peace? Finally, um, where can you exercise restraint? That's like the hyper-practical one. There may be one thing that you can stop doing that will lead to a chain of events of blessing. So rather than asking you to do more, I'm asking you to do less. What can you stop in order that God's peace can come and affect other people? Well, the good news is we're all in the same spot. If you look, feel a little bit like, wow, guess what? Everyone else does too. Because we're all guilty and we're all flawed, yet we celebrate in the coming of Jesus a second and a third and a fourth and a 100th chance. And maybe you haven't this year and maybe you have done what you now regret. But can I just say, in Jesus, you get a fresh start. There's grace for you even now.